This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi and welcome to this podcast from Our Changing World on RNZ. I'm Alison Balance, and one of the pleasures of our summer science series is the chance to play some brand new podcasts made by science communication students at the University of Otago. Jenny Rebecca Stein focuses in on rising sea levels in South Dunedin to find out how soon the water will be lapping and what can be done about it. As a nation, we New Zealanders have an enduring relationship with the sea. It provides us with food and transport, opportunities for recreation and tourism. It influences our weather and climate. It surrounds us on all sides, isolating and protecting us from the rest of the world. Many of us probably think that the sea is static. Sure, it has waves and tides, but we often don't stop to appreciate that the overall level of the sea itself is changing. We know from the boys that sit in the harbours that the sea level has risen 17 centimetres since 1900. While throughout the course of recorded human history, changes in sea level have gone mostly unnoticed, taking place slowly over thousands of years, significant change is now occurring on a timescale approaching that of a human lifetime. And for many communities around the world and in New Zealand, this is becoming a problem. I think the overall response in South Dunedin around water is fear. Fear of the water and fear of what will be done to them because of the water. In order to understand the threats associated with sea level rise and why it poses such a risk to places like South Dunedin, I first wanted to find out why sea level is rising in the first place. There are at least three, maybe four main components. One of those is heating of the ocean. Dr Richard Levy is a principal scientist and paleoclimatologist at GNS Science and co-leader of the New Zealand Sea Rise Project, which is tasked with modelling what future sea level rise might look like around New Zealand. As you may know, 90% of the increase in heat on Earth as a result of increasing greenhouse gases has been absorbed by the ocean. That heat gets absorbed into the ocean and the density of the ocean changes and literally the oceans get higher because they expand. It turns out that for every one degree Celsius you warm a one kilometre depth of seawater, it will rise by about 10 centimetres. Most of the sea level change we've experienced, the numbers you were talking about up till now, have been driven by thermal expansion of the ocean. The reason we're seeing an acceleration is primarily due to an increase in the rate of mass loss or melting of the Greenland ice sheet and also the Antarctic ice sheet. Ice shelves, like much of the Arctic, have already displaced seawater by floating on top of it, 
So when they melt, it doesn't change the overall volume of the ocean. But it's a different story if that melting ice is coming off the land. And it turns out that once you start melting an ice sheet, it becomes difficult to stop. Those ice shelves actually act as a buffer and hold back that ice. So if you melt the ice shelves by warming the oceans, the ice starts to flow faster. And you could stop warming, but you've already kicked that glaciological process into motion and you, you're not, not going to be able to stop it. Like any complex natural system, there are other contributing factors. But this marine ice sheet instability, or MISI, is the main reason why, in 2019, a special report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change revised its previous estimate of global sea level rise up from a global average of 74 centimetres to 84 centimetres over the next 80 years, assuming that nothing is done to curb greenhouse gas emissions. This is a problem for low-lying coastal areas like South Dunedin, as some of the only flat land available in a city famous for its hills, it has become home to several schools, large-scale shopping outlets, indoor sports stadiums, vibrant small businesses and significant infrastructure, not to mention being home to around 10,000 people, making it one of the most densely populated areas in the country, and all within about one metre of current sea level. It's not as if sea level rise is something that's going to be out there one day. Yeah, it's begun. It is rising and we do have to take it seriously. That's Ian Telfer, Senior Communications and Engagement Advisor for the Dunedin City Council. The DCC, like other councils around the country, are tasked with having to prepare their regions for the effects of sea level rise in the future. How quickly it rises from here, that's obviously a huge question. The best range we have at the moment is between about 46 centimetres by the end of the century to about 1 metre 05 as the Ministry for the Environment guidance, depending on what happens to global emissions. The reason for the higher number is due to ocean currents and the rotational and gravitational effects of the Earth, which mean that average sea level around New Zealand is likely to rise slightly more than the global average. And while just over a metre might not sound like much, given that the tide rises and falls by more on a daily basis, a rise in baseline sea level means that those tides, plus storm surges and waves, are also going to be raised by that amount. So smaller storms will start having the same impacts as larger ones do now, and those large storms will be even worse. The 2015 floods produced uh, a big upheaval here. This is Eleanor Doig, a co-founder of the South Dunedin Community Network, which was established after an extreme rainfall event in June 2015 saw 142 millimetres of rain fall in just 24 hours. This overwhelmed the drainage systems and inundated people's homes and businesses with water. The water just flooded all those low-lying houses and a lot of the population on the flat weren't properly insured and it took some of them years to get over that. 60% um, of the people in South Dunedin rent their homes, so if landlords didn't come to the party, um, they were stuck pretty bad. And in some places, it wasn't just water that was the problem. The sewerage from Kaikra Valley comes over, or through the tunnel actually, under, under the Cavi Hill, and it comes up into South Dunedin. Um, but with the water from the flood and all the water coming down off the hill, those drains got completely overloaded and so sewerage was just bubbling up in Surrey Street. Understandably, many residents blamed the Dunedin City Council. The issue was that the work on clearing the mud tanks and things had been contracted out to a firm uh, who hadn't been doing it 
and then the drain where it comes into the harbour, the filter was a, a horizontal thing, so when debris got pushed up against it, it just blocked. So there was a lot of anger in the community, and the DCC came in for a lot of flack, and some of that was earned and deserved, and the council actually owned up to that and got a lot of kudos because of that. The flood was a big traumatic event, you know, and the council did make some mistakes, but we also know that their system would have been overwhelmed even had everything worked perfectly. This is because up until the 2015 floods, the drainage system had been sufficient to manage the challenging task of transporting much of the city's storm and wastewater for several kilometres across South Dunedin to the sea, despite the only one metre or so drop in elevation. And the sea itself was not seen as a flood hazard because of an artificial dune system which protects most of the area from waves and storm surges. But the 2015 event exposed the true nature of the flood risk in South Dunedin, both from short-term heavy rainfall events and from the longer-range threat posed by rising sea level. Paul Freeland, a senior policy manager on the Dunedin City Council's city development team, explains. The groundwater situation is probably the thing which people understand least because you can't see it. Given the projections of sea level rise, we could have groundwater above ground level on a permanent basis without any mitigation or intervention. Groundwater is what you come across if you've ever dug a hole in the garden only to find it filling with water. Groundwater is everywhere. It sits above sea level and the depth to its surface, called the water table, is deeper or shallower depending on the shape of the land and the structure and types of rock and drainage features comprising it. This has both benefits and drawbacks. Groundwater can be a resource. Of course we think of it for irrigation and things like that. But Anywhere that the land is saturated immediately below the surface, it can also cause a whole lot of changes in the strength of the ground and the behaviour of the ground, and so it can become a hazard. Simon Cox is a principal scientist in the Dunedin office of GNS Science. He is working with the New Zealand Sea Rise Project and the Otago Regional Council to help shed light on the groundwater problem facing South Dunedin. Particularly as that groundwater gets closer to the surface, It means that the amount of unsaturated ground gets smaller and smaller and the ability for the ground to absorb rain like a sponge decreases. In South Dunedin, the water table is very close to the surface and that limits the ability to get drainage and stormwater to run off the area. And so the groundwater being shallow creates an issue of contributing to the potential for flooding which is precisely what happened in South Dunedin in June 2015. It's a consequence of the land having been reclaimed from a natural estuary, first by early settlers and later by city developers. Pre-colonisation, you would have had a catchment coming down from a hill and then coming into a sort of a wetland area, and that would have naturally filled up with more flooding and then gradually gone lower again and filled up depending on storm cycles and rainfall events. Sharon Hornblow is a natural hazards analyst at the Otago Regional Council. She's working with Simon Cox on the What Lies Beneath Dunedin project, which is trying to establish better models of the groundwater and rock types beneath South Dunedin in order to understand how they might respond to changes in water inputs in the future. The area was filled 40-odd years ago and the material was sucked out of the harbour and it's sort of all these silts and sands and shells and things. And if you go sticking fresh, organic harbour sediment and stick that in a big pile, slap some concrete on top of it and some really heavy buildings and a whole lot of trucks going up and down, shaking it all the time, then it's going to settle. So let's just take stock of the situation. 
We've got a large, densely populated area of the city collecting runoff from the surrounding hills onto an area of flat land where the shallow water table means that it can't absorb a lot of excess water, and parts of that land are actually sinking. And as if these weren't enough problems, here's one more thing to consider. We know that as the atmosphere warms, for every one degree Celsius that it increases, it'll hold about 7% more water vapour, which means that it can hold more water, which will also mean that we can rain a lot more. So the intensity of the rainstorms may change. This isn't encouraging news when you have a system that is already being overwhelmed. Which brings me to my next question. So what does all this mean in light of rising sea level? Groundwater responds to being pushed by sea level. As sea level rises, the groundwater is likely to rise, and so that will then exacerbate some of those other problems, as well as potentially start to flow out on the surface and inundate certain areas, and then eventually start to flood areas as well. Which begs the question, how do people in the community feel about all this? There is a segment of the community that doesn't believe any of it's real. There's a segment of the community who are very fearful of it all and will hold on tight to the status quo rather than investigating or exploring unless that's handled really carefully. And then there are other people who can see that something's going to change but they don't really trust the bureaucracy to take account of their needs and there are some who are willing to go with the system. So there's a whole continuum. What are the community's main concerns? That nothing happens for a long time, and then suddenly there is a crisis, and people have to move out of the community, and decisions are made quickly and not wisely, and there's catastrophe for the area. That's one option. A much preferred option is that we keep doing what we're currently doing. What they're doing is working with the local and regional council and the scientists to help inform the community about the exact nature and causes of the natural hazards facing South Dunedin, starting by holding a number of community hui. I think the fundamental belief <laughs> of almost any community is that the bureaucracy is a lot of dead wood who take money and don't do anything. So part of the kaupapa of the hui is to have representatives from decision-making bodies come along and tell us what they've been doing between the last hui and this one. And uh, we have them two a year, and it's certainly robust. <laughs> and what do you think of the council's involvement? The DCC are amazing, um, amazingly involved in this. They're doing this amazing job where they want to go and talk to all the little groups in South Dunedin to do exactly this. I spoke to DCC communication advisors Ian Telfer and Jamie Shaw to find out more. You never know when you go out to talk to people what we're going to say, right? And, uh, you know, there's always a bit of trepidation about that. But actually what we've found is this is the right time. 1,200 properties flooded in 2015. So we need to find ways to make sure that doesn't ever happen again. Um, we wrote to 150 groups. We heard straight away from 20 or 30 who said we're really keen to talk now. The number's growing by the day. People realise that it's a serious long-term issue for the area and they want to be part of the solutions. Yeah, I think for me, the South Indian Future Programme really illustrates the difference between consultation and engagement. 
I think usually councils have a project which they put out for submission for a month, six weeks, they get a few submissions, make a few tweaks, deliver the project and sort of move on to the next one. Whereas this is ongoing iterative conversation with the community. The City Council has also set up sessions at the South Dunedin Library where experts from the local and regional council as well as GNS Science are available for people to come and ask questions and find out more information. As scientists, how important is it for you to be involved in this kind of community engagement? It's incredibly important because it's a reminder that while you sit there looking at all your models of the physical things that are going on, it's the social things that are the important decision makers. It's too easy to forget that there's that whole attachment with the Tūranga Waiwai, the place where they stand, and, and the desire to be there and the complications of it. I need to deeply understand it and be reminded of it when I provide my reports and my work. I guess what I'm passionate about is people understanding their environment through time. You're always going to be surprised and angry and really upset and taken aback whenever there's a natural hazard event like an earthquake or a flooding event. You're always going to end up with damage, there'll be the same monetary cost. But I think the community response and the mental toll of the stress of it can be lessened if people do have an understanding of the why and the extent to which it's going to be a problem in the future. And while the public focus has been on community engagement, that isn't to say that the council hasn't already taken practical steps to mitigate future risks. In addition to remedying the problematic filter and mud tanks that contributed to the 2015 floods, they have begun work on a number of other projects to try and mitigate future water-related threats to South Dunedin and neighbouring suburbs. The most immediate challenge is coastal erosion. We have a major project looking at the coast and that dune system because that's a very important barrier to the whole of the rest of South Dunedin. Most of the city's wastewater is piped down underneath South Dunedin and out to the treatment plant. So that's a top priority in terms of infrastructure. Council's spending about $50 million upgrading another wastewater treatment plant in another part of the city and re-diverting some of that wastewater by pipe through that treatment plant just to take the load off South Dunedin. And while not putting a stop to private or commercial developments in the area, they have introduced minimum floor level and other precautionary regulations. We don't want people putting development, expecting it to be lasting more than 100 years in places where the information we have suggested it might not last that long. So having it a little bit above ground level or having it relocatable or both seems to safeguard that investment by those people. A key administrative problem is that long-range national issues like rising sea level require a coordinated approach between multiple authorities. At the moment, people are doing their best and trying to do the right thing, and we're all doing what we can, but it's not within a very clear framework. We are working well with the regional council. We are working with central government. It would be nice if some of those things could end up with an approach or an agreement or policy or even legislation which ensured that we work well together and for the benefit of those communities and those people in those low-lying areas. Meanwhile, the effects of sea level rise are starting to be felt in some of those areas. Eleanor Doig lives in the South Dunedin suburb of Musselburgh and has seen for herself how the environment around her is changing over time. When we first moved in here eight or nine years ago, water was not a problem. And then maybe five years ago, it started getting soggier and soggier to the point where if there was any rain, I actually had to wear my gumboots out to the washing line, out to the back. 
Um, and that got to the point where the water, if it had been raining steadily, the water was halfway up my gumboots. So nobody can tell me that things aren't changing. This community has got to come to grips with the fact that the landscape is going to change. Are the public engagement initiatives working? The change that I am seeing is that people are beginning to believe that decision makers and officials are doing something. The issue is that it's not one community. It's made up of all these different communities who traditionally have never talked to each other. But there's a resilience and uh, grit in this community that uh, is really admirable. And local government appears to be really interested in being involved with us and supporting us. And they want us to be supportive of them and not bomb the officials who are coming to talk. So there's got to be a respectful interaction. And that's probably the best that we can hope for at the moment. It seems no one is under any illusions about how long it might take to find solutions to the physical and social problems associated with environmental change. We recognise it's going to take a long time. And our challenge is, in a fragmented community, but a really important one, how do you get a basic scientific understanding that everyone shares, an understanding of the challenge, and then start making decisions together? And I think there's a growing recognition that there will be change, that it won't just be the same as it is today. That also doesn't mean that... You know, we've got any plan for abandoning South Dunedin. This has been one of the major concerns of residents and businesses in the area, particularly when conversation turns to things like a managed retreat. For us, we're not looking at it as a managed retreat project. We're looking at it as a South Dunedin future project. You know, what is it that we can do to make the place stronger and better and give it a future, you know, a good future? I can imagine a sort of central river, open drain, they're calling it, but like a creek through South Dunedin with green leisure activities either side of that with cycleways and playgrounds and barbecue areas and things and maybe you know maybe actually recreate a swamp a wetland uh, and have boardwalks over it and make it a feature. I personally think that there's a lot of room for just simple engineering um, with essentially humping and hollowing uh, like they do with the paddocks for farming. Now the streets are trying to be maintained to be dry so that you don't drive through them. Uh, they end up higher than the houses nearby and so the water flows off the streets and into the houses and into the properties. I see no reason why we couldn't have the streets lower than all the properties and on the few occasions that it does rain really hard you may need a four-wheel drive or you may not be able to drive through them um, while they hold the water and slow it down on its passage away off the land. Anything that we can do that lowers the height of that flood wave will be an improvement. So kind of like we did with COVID-19 and flattening the curve? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really nice parallel. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about it, but it is. It's exactly what you're doing, is trying to flatten that curve on each of those flood events. Yeah. It's clear that ultimately, big decisions will need to be made, and part of Sharon and Simon's job is to help provide the data necessary to do that. We now have 22 groundwater monitoring stations, up from four. The next steps are, now that we've got some good groundwater data starting to come in, to start feeding that into a groundwater flow model. And that's something that GNS and the Sea Rise Project are doing. How does the groundwater change? What is the rain doing? Is there a point where you would say that 
maybe everything's going to suddenly get a whole lot of water into it or a big tipping point or a critical point at which it's no longer serviceable as opposed to a very gradual thing that you can slowly mitigate at. And if we can find those tipping points and pre-warn about them, then I think we're really doing our job well. And that's something people like Paul Freeland, who are tasked with planning for South Dunedin's future, appreciate. Obviously, in some respects, we're more comfortable with having trigger points of when sea level gets to a certain point. We would anticipate this being a driver for us having to have had made decisions about what we're doing with South Dunedin. And so canals and green and blue corridors or whatever you might have might be appropriate. At other times, it's possible that more dramatic and more permanent options might have to be taken. It just depends on the situation. And it's just taking people along through those decisions and making sure that as a community and as a city, we make them together. Meanwhile, Richard and the team at New Zealand SeaRise are currently working on better projections for future sea levels around the country. Their report, due in September, will provide councils and communities with updated estimates that factor in localised subsidence and uplift that will influence the rate and magnitude of sea level change along different parts of our coast. New Zealand's coastline is highly dynamic and so we need to understand vertical land movement to be able to figure out that relative sea level rise. And that's what we're trying to do, not just for South Dunedin, but for New Zealand, is to provide the tools that you can use to make a decision based on sound evidence. Now, of course, emotion, culture, all of those other things are going to play a role in those decisions ultimately. But we want to make sure that the underpinning science is robust so that the decisions are being made with the best available scientific data. Do you have a message for the people of South Dunedin or other communities that might be facing similar issues in the future? Get informed or stay informed. Take part, be pragmatic, um, do what you can, work together and be flexible. There's no guaranteed way of how to do this and we're just trying to do our best and learn as we go. It's going to be big and it's going to be complex, it's going to take a while and uh, we're not pretending that there are any easy answers but we want to work on solutions together. It's my theme song. Not that we're going to be abandoned, but that change is coming. It is coming. So we've got to be part of what that change looks like. I would like to acknowledge Dr Richard Levy and Dr Simon Cox from GNS Science, Dr Sharon Hornblow from the Otago Regional Council, Paul Freeland, Ian Telfer and Jamie Shaw from the Dunedin City Council and Eleanor Doig from the South Dunedin Community Network for their contributions to this podcast. Thanks, Jenny. Jenny Stein is a student at the Centre for Science Communication at the University of Otago. I'm Alison Balance, and this was a summer science podcast from Our Changing World on RNZ. You can listen again or find out more at our website, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Thanks for your company. Mā te wā.